Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Tim Thompson, the color commentator for Vanderbilt Basketball. Today's show presented by the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water. The Well is a coffee house with a mission to bring clean water to the world. To date, over 30 communities across the globe have access to safe water, health, and hope. You can make an impact by visiting a Well Coffee House location today. There are locations in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue to serve you. You can also get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. The news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a local injury law firm committed to helping those injured in accidents. If you or someone you know has been in a wreck or other accident, reach out to Sutherland and Belk, see what your rights are. You can find their contact info online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, bad news for Commodore basketball. Vanderbilt falls 75-55 to to Arkansas and Fayetteville. Saban leads 17 points, and Max Evans' 16 lead the Commodores. The guest line is presented by Boland Branch. Started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen, I've used Bowling Branch sheets for years and love them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women, treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Tim Thompson joins us now. He's the color commentator for Vanderbilt men's basketball. Tim was unfortunately not at the game in Fayetteville last night due to a family emergency, or I guess your wife having knee surgery is a better way to put it. But um, in any case, (laughs) Tim, thank you for joining us and appreciate your contributions to what we do here. And let's talk about the game last night. Uh, Boy, I think this kind of sums it up. Arkansas's two leading scorers who are averaging about 37 between them go for 13, and Arkansas still wins by 20. It's just looking like it's going to be that kind of year with the injury to Aaron Neesmith, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you look at kind of what's happened, and and we kind of saw the year before with Darius Garland, and, and, you know, that had, in my opinion, a mental effect um, on the team for an extended period of time. And, you know, against Texas A&M, you know, that was the first game that Aaron didn't play. And it was pretty obvious that I think everyone was affected by, you know, his, his not being able to play. And, you know, that takes a while, in my opinion, to kind of soak in. And, um, you know, I think even we saw that a little bit last night. You know, I, I watched the game on TV. You know, like I said, my wife had double knee replacement surgery, so I was with her, and and but I did watch it last night, and you could kind of see even the frustration. And I, I and I said something to a friend of mine with Saban Lee. Now that Aaron is not there, and he doesn't take pressure off of defenses because of the way he shoots the ball from the outside, and when he was there it did open up some lanes and some driving lanes for Saban to be effective with Aaron not being there. And now teams basically can play off of 
Saban and play in the gaps to stop his penetration, I just felt like I saw some body language of some frustration with him last night that, you know, I think he realizes, hey, it's going to be a long year for me too when I don't have somebody that can keep other teams honest with the outside perimeter shots like Aaron did. Um, You know, again, it's not like they're canceling the games, though. I mean, they're, they, everyone's got to play. I mean, they're, and no one's going to feel sorry for Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, that's just the way injuries are. And you've got something like this to Neesmith. And, you know, it's really you look at him on that scooter, and I don't know what the, you know, scenario is, but it, it looks to me like he'd be tough to come back this year just based on, you know, the injury probably that, you know, that he has with something that those, those metatarsal foot ankle injuries, when it's a stress fracture, you just don't know how, how serious they are until you, you know, you have, it takes a couple of weeks to evaluate them. And th- and then there are times when they say, okay, we're going to either have to just have him off the, the thing for another six weeks, or we're going to do surgery and, you know, surgery he's done. And if he's got to stay off it for six weeks to get it fully healed, you know, now all of a sudden you're looking into, you know, March and the season's almost over. So that's the frustrating part. Yeah. And this is the point where if it's anything like last year, and I think that's where this is probably headed is a direction where there aren't a lot of wins left. The other things become important, like the what's next part. And for me, what I keep thinking about is what's next for Aaron Neesmith. I know there have been a lot of scouts at Memorial to see him. You have the complications with the injury. What do you think comes next with him? Should he go pro? Do you think he will go pro after this season? Well, and again, this is, I know a couple scouts that I've been friends with for, for years. One of them is a trailblazer scout. And he, and, um, he came to the night that um, I think Aaron had 34. He really likes him. He thinks that he's, you know, going to be a really, really good NBA player. He shoots it from range. And I got to believe that if that guy's saying that, you know, Aaron's going to be a first round draft pick, that there's got to be some other people thinking the same way, just because, you know, uh, the way he can shoot the basketball. Um, so my, my opinion is, yeah, I think he's got the ability to be a first-round draft pick. And, you know, now all of a sudden you you kind of go back to the Darius Garland thing and you start looking at, okay, when that happened to Darius, what, five games into the season, and it was a meniscus and that, that injury was going to be, um, you know, probably six, eight weeks. Now you get into a little over halfway through the season. He's for sure going to be a top-ten pick. Now, all of a sudden, as a parent and and as an advisor, you know, you got to say, okay, do you want to go back and risk injury, um, you know, playing, or do you want to save yourself and go through the, you know, all the NBA stuff that you have to go through, um, you know, to for being an NBA draft pick? And, you know, the money is so crazy, Chris, that it's almost like if you know you're going to be a first-round draft pick, you almost can't afford, and, and this is no disrespect to anybody at all, but you just can't afford to go back and, you know, just afford to, you know, get hurt again and, and put yourself in a situation where your draft stock goes down. And I know Aaron Neesmith, he, he, what a great kid. And he loves Vanderbilt. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, he's if he if he's going to get drafted in the first round, you know, that's that's a hard hard decision. You know, he doesn't want to leave his teammates in a lurch, but he's looking at, you know, he's looking at his you know his career uh, potentially as an NBA player, and now all of a sudden he's got to he's got to make a really really tough decision, especially if this injury, if you evaluate it and it draws out to, you know, cause we're looking right now, what it, today's what January the 16th or whatever it is, you know, yeah. a month from now, you're looking at February the 15th or 16th. And, you know, now all of a sudden you've got three weeks left in the season, you know, what do you do? So that's, that's the sad part about it. Yeah. I look at it this way. First of all, if you're good enough to go pro, every year stay in college, all things being equal, you are forfeiting a year of earnings, which those are pretty significant contracts and more money than you and I have probably ever been paid. So there's that, first of all. So all things being equal, it's it's that. So then it becomes a matter of, do you better yourself for the pros by coming back another year? And here's where I am with him, Tim. He is getting projections by CBS – Oh, I'm going to say, I think 14 was the one I saw. And I think CBS, from what I understand from somebody with connections in basketball circles, that's one of the more respected mock drafts. So if that is an accurate representation of what he is, I think he's in that territory where he probably should go. Now, the other question is, should, can he better himself? So if, if 14 is where he's going to go, could he work his way into the top 10? I don't know. I mean, He's not that explosive athlete. Now, is he a pro player? Absolutely. Does he defend a rebound? Yeah. But he's not that quick twitch. He doesn't have some of the traits that, say, Saban Lee has or Darius Garland has. And so I see a little bit of limit on him. And so with that, I look at where he is, okay? He is averaging 23 points a game, which is fifth in the country. He's leading the country in three-point shooting. You know the defenses were going to get better against him and make every effort to take him away. I look at where he left off and I say, it's awfully hard for him to better his situation the way that I see it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he was probably playing at a, you know, at, at such a high level right now that his evaluation, like to your point, his evaluation by the pros is probably as high as it's going to get, you know? Um, so you know, it, it just it breaks it breaks your heart as a Vanderbilt fan, man, to think that this thing happened. You know, two years row. You know, with with Aaron. I mean, I it just gosh, it just it's so sad. But again, that's that's part of big time basketball. That's injuries happen, and you, you know you have to deal with them. But when you're dealing with them with your best player, an elite player that potentially can go pro the the recovery comeback element um is is a completely different environment now than it used to be five years ago you know everybody you know something like this would happen the first thing that would everybody would say is or or the player would say is how quick can i get back because i gotta i I gotta get back and and play now i mean you, you look at football you know these these you know bowl games that are you know no factor you got guys that just won't play just because they know that if they're, you know, first, first round draft pick, they don't want to take a chance on getting hurt doing something that is going to jeopardize their career. 
The next injury I want to talk about is Cleavon Brown. The rumor that I have been hearing is that he may seek a red shirt and come back. I thought at first he couldn't, but as I looked it up, the rule is 30% of your team's games and no games in the second half that you play in the second half of their season. So obviously he meets the first one. Vanderbilt plays 31 games this year in the regular season. He has played nine. He's at 29%. Are you hearing anything about Cleavon Brown potentially returning to Vanderbilt for a second senior season next year? I've heard that rumor. Again, I know nothing firsthand about that. But, you know, if you're Cleavon – you know, you're, you're not going to get drafted. Okay. Do, you know, you're in a situation where if you come back and with that injury, the M- MCL, you know, it looks to me like he might have another three weeks before he can probably get back. So now again, you, you cut, do you come back um, after February 15th or do you elect to say, you know what, I'd like to come back and help my team completely and have a full year an extra year to play and then, and then, you know, use your a red shirt and come back and, and be completely healthy, completely in shape. That kind of, and those are, again, those are, that's a decision that the player and the, and the training staff and the coaching staff probably have to make um, is, Hey, do we want Cleveland to come back and be full speed, you know, for a whole year that would really help us you know, again, um, that's a decision that they would have to make, but I have heard that there's a potential that he could, you know, he could redshirt. The only way out of this is getting better players. And I think everybody is realizing that by now, Jerry Stackhouse set up his staff. It was going to be heavy on player development. He's got David Grace, who was out recruiting, I think, a lot. He's got two other coaches, Faraji Phillips, who was a high school coach, has some AAU connections, uh, and Mazzari, who has just been a developmental guy in the NBA, uh, not recruited before. Neither of those guys have recruited at the college level. Tim, am I right to say that their staff was structured mostly to have Grace doing the recruiting and Stackhouse and the other two to be back on campus working with players. Is that kind of the impression that you got of how they set this up? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And and again, you know, I always hearken back to, you know, Jerry, you know, he's had NBA experience. That's been his experience has been in the NBA. So, you know, that's kind of the way he set up his staff and, and that kind of thing. And so again, I think it's player development and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, again, I look at some of the players that they have and I think Dylan Bissu is, is going to be a really good player. And I think he started to develop. I will say this though. And I always, I always say this about freshmen, Scotty Pippen included in this, and it happens to every freshman. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Zion Williamson didn't happen to, but there's a freshman wall that these guys hit. And it's usually about halfway through the season. And, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, okay, you know, do you, how quickly can you recover? And I remember when Matt Freegie was a freshman, you know, at, at Vanderbilt and he hit that wall and doggone it, he hit that wall hard. And it took him about two weeks to kind of recover from that, uh, that freshman wall. And when I say freshman wall, it's like, okay, in college, your, your practices are more intense. The, the, the academics are more intense games are more intense you play just the physical 
in high school. And a, a lot of times, usually at halfway through the season, that catches up to you. And then all of a sudden now you hit that, hit that wall and some guys recover quicker than, than others. I expect to see some of that. And I think I've started to see a little bit of it with Dylan and, and Matt and, um, and Scotty, but from a player development standpoint, you know, I think Adam and, and Faraji do, they do a great job. I see them before the, the games and they, they really work these kids hard, but you know, you say that and ultimately, and everyone will say this in college basketball, recruiting is kind of life lifeblood of your program. That is, you know, that's, that's just the way it is at the pro level. It's GMs getting, you know, the best players, that's kind of your lifeblood. So again, it's all about, you know, it's all about players. It's, it's about coaching, but it's also about players. And I, and I think that's just an important part of, you know, the, the collegiate process is, is getting players, especially in a league where you're, going against you know like elite athletes across the board so you know again i think yeah do do they do they have to recruit absolutely and i you know how jerry structured the system is is how he's done it and um you know i i think david grace is a really really good recruiter all the people that i know he's done an unbelievable job where all the places that he's been at ucla and cal and i think he'll do a great job here so I think we'll just have to wait and see how that structure plays out. Um, but again, that's, that's kind of what coach Stackhouse knows is that pro game and player development is a really, really important piece of that. Most power five level staffs, how are those responsibilities divided up? In other words, do you have three assistants that are out on the road constantly? Um, how does that work? Well, you know, a lot of times and, and, you know, a lot of teams are different, but usually you have in, like an assistant coach that is kind of the recruiting coordinator um, that is a, is an out on the road re- recruiter plus kind of, you know, coordinates, you know, the players that they're going after and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, under normal circumstances, probably it's, you know, there's three coaches, the assistant coaches out recruiting during the summertime and, you know, those evaluation periods and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you got the head coach that's kind of what I always call the closer. And, um, you know, that, that person goes out and, you know, whether it's the Nike, you know, Augusta Peach Jam Tournament or whatever it is, um, you see a lot of those head coaches at those real high profile events. And then, you know, again, the, the coach happened to close the deal, you know, when you, you know, when you get a player. So that's, yeah, overall, it's three, three assistant coaches out recruiting and then, the, you know, the, the head coach being the closer. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Mark Gent at Simply a Fan. By organizing leading baseball trips, Simply a Fan provides baseball fans the opportunity to travel to ballparks around the country and join the camaraderie, company, and fellowship of friends and strangers alike. Visit the website at simplyafan.com. And remember, Simply a Fan is organizing road trips to several Vanderbilt Road venues this year for the baseball season. GLH4VU says, what are the chances Vanderbilt actually goes winless two years in a row in the conference? You know, gosh, that, that's so hard. I mean, you know, you sit there and you think about last year. I, I didn't think they would go 0-18 last year. And, you know, Chris, you were at those games. I mean, think about the Tennessee game at home. You know, that game, we had that game won. You know, um, the South Carolina game, we missed 15 free throws. 
Um, you know, Arkansas, if we make one play down the stretch in the Arkansas game on the road, we win that game. So, you know, there were, there were some winnable opportunities last year. Um, I think there are some winnable opportunities this year. Um, you know, again, without Aaron, you know, it's, it's going to be tougher, but I think Saturday's game against Tennessee, I think it's a winnable game, Tennessee, you know, they don't have, you know, the scoring capacity that they've had in, in the past. Um, you know, they don't shoot the ball great from the perimeter. Um, so I think that's a game that if, if we play well and, you know, again, we can get Saban playing downhill kind of like he did against, um, against Auburn, you know, um, you know, Jordan Wright's going to have to step up. Dylan DeSue's going to have to step up, but I think there's some winnable games, but again, you know, for a game mentally, you know, um, it's it's one of those things where you know you look at the Mr. or the uh, Texas A&M game, you know, we just we just didn't play very good, and if you if you have an outing like that, it's going to be difficult to win. But you know, you you play like you did against um, Auburn, and it just wasn't Aaron that that played well against Auburn. It was, you know, it was um, it was Saban Lee. It was. You know, Jordan Wright, I mean, there was a bunch of guys that really stepped up. I thought Educate played well. Those are the kind of guys that have to step up and start playing in order to to win. So, you know, the probability is unlikely that we would go 0-18. But, again, you you, got to tip it up every game and you got to play hard. Next question. Uh, this comes from GLH4VU also. Without Aaron Neesmith, will teams key on Lee? Can anyone step up and score consistently? Well, it's kind of like I said earlier, and you know, when we were talking, is that, you know, Aaron Neesmith was his perimeter shooting ability and what he does for this team. You, when you take that away, now all of a sudden, you know, other players probably don't have the opportunities from a scoring standpoint that you had when you had a guy that if Scotty was driving to the basket, you know, he could kick to Aaron and have a wide open look. If, if, you know, if Saban's playing downhill, like he did against Auburn and, you know, you, you, you take it to the side where Aaron is, the the guys can't, you know, come off of him and, and gap Saban. And now Saban's got an open lane to the basket with Aaron not being there. Now, all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to stop, Saban, and we're not going to let him get to the basket and we're going to make him shoot from the perimeter and we're going to make everybody shoot from the perimeter. We're going to make Dylan DeSue, who can is a really good outside shooter. We're going to make him put it on the floor. We're going to get up in his face, make him put it on the deck and see if he can finish at the rim. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to guard us differently now that Aaron is out and it's going to be more of a struggle. And, And again, last night, as I watched the, you know, the Arkansas game, you know, I, I, I just sensed or felt a, a sense of frustration a little bit with Saban because it's like, oh, gosh, you know, now everybody, when I take it to the basket, everybody's waiting on me, you know. So, again, without without Aaron, it, it's a it's a completely different ball game in the way that other teams are going to defend us. Mr. Vandy says, what's happened with Matt Moyer that some walk-ons are getting more playing time than he? And I will tell you, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, this is – he played two minutes and 54 seconds um, last last night, and he played about the same against Texas A&M. 
And so, I mean, I, that was one of the questions that I had for Joe when we were talking is, you know, Matt's only playing a couple minutes a game. So, again, but here's the other thing. You know, coaches play players that they can trust and that will perform. And, you know, Matt's just really been struggling from the perimeter. I mean, he just has, you know, from a you know confidence standpoint, he just really, really struggled, which is sad to see because, you know, he's – I think I think he could be a really effective player when if, if he shoots the basketball from outside. But you know I think part of it is just you know him not being able to perform when he when he's getting minutes, and then the coach is saying, okay, we just you know we got to have somebody come in there and it will do some things that to help us win basketball games. And I, I think the combination of that is is the result of you know you seeing Matt play two and a half three minutes a, a game, which. You know, in, in in order for us to win, you know, Matt's got to he's got to play. He, I mean, he's got to play more minutes, and he's got to be effective when he goes in there and and plays those minutes. Last one from Ann Arbor. The A and M coach was apparently making last minute substitutions that were bothering Jerry Stackhouse. Is this a violation of rules or just frowned upon? You, you know, it, it's not a violation of rules. It's it's just one of those things where. The, the the end of the game, I think they were up 20 and, and he, instead of taking four guys like last night, Eric Musselman, you know, at the end of the game, it may have been a minute and a half, two minutes left. He took four guys and just put bang, put them in the game and took four guys out. You know, Buzz, when he was here, he like subbed one guy and they, they, they subbed in and then he kind of looked back at the bench and subbed the second guy. And, you know, they did that. Then third third guy, as opposed to saying, okay, bang, 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 the guy that stays in the game, everybody else out. You know, I think that's what frustrated Jerry was the fact that it was just like, you know, one after another after another when the game was already, you know, out of hand. You know, it was like, hey, you four get in, you four out, let's let's play. You know, that's what it was. It wasn't any rule violation or anything like that. Maybe not as frowned upon as stealing signs and banging trash cans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I would say that that's that's probably a little bit more of a cheating rule violation than than you know subbing one guy in at a time at the last two minutes of a basketball game. Yeah, last I checked, Buzz Williams is still employed. So, Tim, thanks yeah. for joining us. Uh, appreciate your time. Any parting thoughts? No, I, you know, again, let's, like I said earlier, I think, you know, Tennessee is a winnable game for Vanderbilt. You know, I think, but again, everyone's got to step up and, and you, you're going to have to get some production from, you know, from, from Dylan, from Scotty, you know, Max had a good game. He had 16 points last night, all in the first half, uh, but didn't score in the second half. And, you know, then all of a sudden Arkansas kind of blew the lead out a little bit, but we got, this team has to have production from all their players. Anybody that goes in has to produce in order for, for Vanderbilt to, to, to win basketball games. And it's going to have to be like that on Saturday when we play Tennessee, when they roll in here. He is Tim Thompson, color commentator for Vanderbilt Basketball. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks. See you.